You're listening to the 2020 Marketing Series on the Growth Manifesto podcast, a Zoom video series brought to you by Web Profits, where we talk about how to drive business and marketing success through the rest of 2020. This episode is a discussion with Matthew Kuzia-Paul, the General Manager of Marketing and Corporate Strategy at Aussie Broadband. We talk about how they grew from $25 million to $190 million in annual revenue in four years and lessons along the way. So let's get into it. Today, we're talking with General Manager of Marketing and Corporate Strategy um, at Aussie Broadband. His name is Kuzi, which is actually his last, part of his last name. It's Matthew, could you help me say it? Yeah, Matthew Kuzi Effo, yeah. Kuzi Effo, right? Um, And he's led the marketing team at Aussie Broadband for the last uh, four years and has taken it from 25 mil um, to more than $100 million in annual revenue. Um, that was last year. Um, they're now the fifth largest MBN provider in the country. Um, so I'm excited to have him on the podcast. Um, and I thought a good place to start is how are you tracking like this year? Because I know last year you were at about $100 million revenue, which was like um, you doubled from 25 to 50 and then from 50 to 100. And, like, and that was a stretch goal. And how are you going this year? Uh, so for the financial year that we've um, just wrapped up, we're on track and obviously the numbers are yet to, to come in and be finalised. We're on track for uh, in the area of $190 million for the financial year, which will, which will put nearly, nearly our third year of um, kind of yeah, doubling the size of the company in revenue terms. So you've doubled three years in a row, four years in a row, yeah. 25, 50, 100. 190. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Like, I just had to count on my finger. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That makes you look really, really smart, Mark, <laughs> right now. But you doubled um, yeah, four years in a row. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep, yep. Pretty much. What's that like? I mean, like, how does talk to me about like the first parts of the growth, you know? So, the first years, right? Because we'll come to this last part, but, you know, talk to me about the challenge of actually having to double the revenue of a company every year for four years. What's yeah, like? so um, uh, it's been a very interesting journey, and I think that anyone who's operating in a, you know, what what I would call a, a small business, as Aussie was certainly when I started, we had about 60, 65 staff, so it wasn't a, a large operation by any means. Um, it's it was a very very interesting journey, and and um, one that I look at, and I think a lot of a lot of businesses have kind of probably come through they've all had similar challenges, similar struggles along the way. When we were starting out, we had a, a really kind of, um, we kind of had a real core group of people who were really invested in, you know, having a great performing network, um, great customer service. Um, certainly those early days though, the biggest thing was how do we get our marketing out there? You know, you're competing against giants in the industry and, and particularly for, for Aussie broadband in the telco industry. We're competing against MBN uh, on the, with the MBN products. We're competing um, with Telstra, with Optus, with uh, you know TPG, who also um, have a couple of the other brands like Ironet and things like that. Um, so you're competing against these massive companies. The 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 four biggest companies in the industry have uh, over ninety percent of MBN connections. So as a as a small regional player that we were at that time, you know we kind of had a really good product that we thought and, and great Australian um, based customer service. Um, but the challenge was just getting our name out there, you know, people who had, had never heard of us before. And um, uh, we really started to actually quite critically look at, okay, right. Well, what is the right marketing channels that are going to allow us to, to scale, I suppose. And what we found is that as the MBN started to roll out, you know, people had 18 months to, to change. And so the MBN first came to an area and that caused, everyone in the area to stop and go, hang on a second, I've got to, I've got to make a decision. Do I stay with my current provider? Do I move? Do I whatever else like that? Um, and so we actually started, funnily enough, a, a, as a tech company, the, the origins of our marketing strategy were direct mail because it allowed us to get our name out there to the customers, um, you know, right when they were kind of starting to make that purchase decision. And that was kind of really what started to kick things off for us. So you started off with the direct mail but then how did you figure out the strategy for direct mail because obviously there's so many parts to getting it 
right. And you obviously yeah. have gotten it right to be able to get past that like initial first step. For sure. So um, one of the things that we um, were really kind of, um, and, and I'll tell anyone who listens, I'm not a real marketer. I'm, I actually, you know, study international business and economics um, uh, at university. And so from the get go, it was very much um, a focus on, on testing and on getting, getting data. So we would um, send out a piece of mail and it might be, it might've been green or it might've been blue or orange or whatever else like that and then test it. How many calls did we receive from that mail? Okay, right, well then this one works better for, than, than this particular piece. Okay, right, so we send out, we iterate it and we send out another batch of mail and we'd send it to, to different areas and also at different points in time in the journey. So, you know, we'd send mail before they went live and then test that and then when they went live on the NBN and then test that and then after they went live and at, at each point, um, every kind of different tactic or different execution that we use, we test it, we collect the data on how many leads do we generate? How many sales did we generate? Okay, right, then let's make some improvements or some changes to, to the copy or the color or the timing or whatever, send it out again. And so it was just a, an iterative process. And so um, certainly those early years were, were, you know, it was a kind of really slow start for the marketing strategy. And, and um, you know, the first year that I was with the company, we went from, when I started 20 million, um, and the first year we went from 20 to 25. So, you know, obviously a, a, an increase, but nowhere near as significant as kind of what we what we found obviously later on because it took time to to grow and test and whatever. And as a small business, you don't have the money to do everything all at once. You've got to start small and then build. And so that's kind of what we did. We started small, we started to build, we started to build, started to add other channels and, and, and again, with the same approach of, of testing and, and, you know, optimizing our kind of executions. And that ultimately led to, you know, helping us jump from, from, you know, 25 to the 50 and then 50 to the hundred. And, and from there has been that kind of continued focus on testing and optimization. So then, so then, so then in those early days, um, you tested the mailers, and how did you test them mm. exactly? Like, but was there a phone number that was different or like, what was the difference between the mailers and how did you test them? Uh, it's very much art, art, um, not science, I suppose. Um, <laughs> so in, in, in the case of, for, for us, for direct mail, we actually looked at the address. So we would go, right, we've mailed this particular area, this locality or this postcode. And then because the MBN is primarily an address driven product, you know, you, you order it at your house. Um, we could then match those addresses back to the mail that we sent to those areas. And that's how we um, started to attribute and work out the success of different pieces was going, right, that address is signed up. And, and at the time, um, we, were, we were basically focused on, we, you know, our, historically, we'd done regional Victoria, um, a little bit of regional South Australia. Um, all of a sudden, we were getting calls from Queensland, like Butterham and places like that, that we you know, had never marketed to that, you know, we had no brand presence in. So early on, it was an indication of, hang on a second, this mail starting to have an effect. Um, and then obviously looking at the data and matching the addresses back to the locales that we mailed, we saw, yeah, this is actually um, a, been a successful strategy. And so with MBN specifically, um, you chose the direct mail path because you had the addresses of where it was connected. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Was... And, and, and we're very, um, I guess, everyone's got to kind of, you've got to play to the industry, I suppose, that you're operating in. So um, this kind of strategy wouldn't work for a lot of industries where that, you know, they don't necessarily know where the, where the customers are, but, you know, because it's an, an address based product um, and the MBN was rolling out. So we had data on the MBNs going live in this particular area, this particular postcode. Um, and that allowed us to then send, send mail. And the thing about mail was, it scales at a, as, at a flat cost. So the cost of sending a piece of mail to an address doesn't change like, like say for example, a digital channel where the more you bid, um, that, that price goes up and up and up per bid. Whereas you can send as many you know, letters out as you like and that cost is actually the same. So it, it, allows, uh, it allowed us to scale, um, uh, yeah, quite quickly. And how many, like, like, like at the peak of the mailing, Oh, this is just something I'm interested in. Um, um, how much kind of per week was being sent or per month? Yeah, so was um, being sent in direct mail. At its at its peak, which um, has only been uh, certainly over the last couple of months, we've actually 
ramped up um, uh, direct mail even further than what we suppose what we started with in those early days because we kind of started around um, a hundred thousand a week um, and and at its peak we we're probably running at five hundred thousand a week. Five hundred thousand mailers a week. Okay, so you guys know something yeah. about direct mail now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's great. That's um that's a lot of production um stuff that and that's that's a lot of testing. I mean, how has the tracking now changed? Because obviously at that level of sending, is it as easy now to see the performance as it was at the start? Like, is it still the same strategy or has that it's changed? Not it's, it's not necessarily the same strategy. Um, what we find is that uh, as we've started to layer, obviously, additional channels um, on top, it does become a little bit more difficult. Um, and obviously, for, for, for any marketer, I, I suppose, the challenge is always, you know, okay, they saw a piece of mail, but then they clicked on a digital ad. And then, you know, how do you kind of attribute, you know, the different channels, the mix of different channels. So it has definitely become a lot, um, a lot trickier, the more channels that we've been operating in. Um, but we still do look at, we still try and as best as we can go, right, what was the, what was the first place that person heard about us? So, you know, if they clicked on an ad, but they received a postcard, you know, or a, a piece of mail, you know, a couple of days beforehand, we normally actually look at, go back to that piece of mail and weight that more heavily, um, knowing that it's likely, they're, they're, they're more likely to have clicked on the ad or Googled us or whatever else like that after having received, say for example, the piece of mail in their, in their letterbox. Yeah, got it, got it. Um, um, so in the beginning, you started off with just direct mail. How has the marketing evolved from $20 million company just doing 100,000 pieces a week, you know, like of direct mail to now $190 million company and yeah. the, fifth, the fifth largest MBN provider in the country. Like, like how has the marketing changed in that time? Um, I think it's probably been a case of we've, we've started to then supplement, I guess, um, uh, our direct mail strategy. And, and it was more, We've always had kind of other channels that we probably use in, in um, kind of piecemeal, you know, bits and pieces as we, you know, we were a small business at, at the time. We didn't have a national strategy. So, you know, the direct mail was the start of that strategy. Um, we supplemented that quite early on with digital advertising and, and digital, obviously, it, it is um, a channel that's extremely effective, particularly where you've got um, a, particular, a particular demographic that you're trying to target. Um, you can target things far more easily than you can just, you know, a direct mail. You're sending it to a household, but you don't know anything about that household. Whereas on digital advertising, Facebook, Google, you can go, yeah, they're searching for for the MBN, you know. And so that was a very logical kind of thing to pair with our direct mail strategy to make sure that, you know, okay, cool. We've generated that interest in, hey, look, I need to look for an MBN provider. Right. Make sure that we're, we're there when they search for the MBN. They're there when they look up best MBN deals. So... Um, yeah, quite early on, we've been using digital and, and, and it continues to kind of be a mainstay of our, of our marketing campaign. Um, one of the things that as we started to grow and expand, we were never really in a position to do um, large scale broadcast above the line kind of advertising. Um, about uh, beginning of 2019, we first started our, our first TV ads that were just running in um, Metro Victoria and Metro New South Wales. And we actually found pretty much straight away running those TV ads combined with the mail um, and the, the digital advertising that we were doing straight away, having that top of funnel um, channel helped to lift our overall awareness. And pretty much immediately we started to lift our, our, our sales and our leads as a result. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. And I've seen kind of how, you guys have expanded over the years and you're just kind of adding channel upon channel upon channel upon channel. But I also know um, the attribution side of thing, which is what like you mentioned just a second ago is really hard, right? Like, like how do you, how do you yeah. attribute? Because you know, you need to do more. You know, like, you know, you need to get more market share, but you don't want to overspend and you don't want to overcapitalize on acquisition. So how do you approach it? Yeah, so um, for us, what's been really important is, um, as I said, that, that kind of constant process of testing and optimization. We actually use quite heavily what we call the cost per sale. Um, and, and, you know, again, it's, it's more art than science, but as best as we can, we try to 
work out where did that lead first come from if we if we can and then we go right well um, this is how much we spent on you know any, any given channel whether it's mail or whether it's broadcast or whether it's digital this is how much we spent this is how many leads that we believe first came from that channel um, and then how many sales resulted you know from those leads and that's basically helped kind of allow us uh, it's not it's not perfect but it allows us to measure the relative performance of the different channels and so depending on the, the, the size of budget that we have which in the early days was obviously a lot less um, we could kind of you know leverage our most efficient channels in order to in, in terms of generating leads and put more money into those channels and then as we kind of found that hey this channel's reached you know kind of a natural um, I guess saturation point we can't you know you can only scale you know search Google search so much before it becomes kind of unrealistic well then we would move into the next tier and then go right um, okay uh, you know that that next platform whatever it was or that next execution piece of mail whatever it is okay great now let's tip some money into there so um, it's been a, a process it is just trial and error and, and experimentation and then starting to go right well we run we run a small trial or something okay right we think that the cost per sale is is, is roughly this how does that perform relative to our other channels? Okay, that's good. Great, let's scale up spend in those areas. Um, you know, or, or other areas where we go, what well, this is a quite a high cost per scale. Let's actually scale scale down spend in that area. And, and again, we're constantly moving money um, to try and to generate the most efficient results possible. So you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you approach campaigns by suburbs or by postcodes? Is it, like, is that how you figure out your cost per sale kind of averages? No, it's, it, it's, be averages, it's just right? by channel. Yeah, by it, is, channel. it is, it is average. Yeah, but it's by, it's by channel. So we try and look at, um, we try and look at where, what can we determine is the most likely place that that lead generated. So as an example, um, you know, like I was saying before, somebody gets a, gets a piece of mail and then a week later they come, they, they Google us, they click a Google ad, they come to our website. Um, so we would look at that and we go, right, well, we know that we sent them a piece of mail and then they created a Google, uh, then they searched us on Google, created a, um, a lead via Google. Um, but we would actually attribute that lead back to um, that piece of mail. So then we'd go, right, well, how much do we spend on mail, say, for example, in the month of June? Um, okay, this is how many leads we've, think we've generated, this is how many sales. But if somebody clicked on a Google ad without that piece of mail being there, then we would say, well, you know, obviously in the absence of any other information, we believe that that's actually come from Google. And so that's how we go, okay, right. Well, how much should we spend on Google in that month? How many leads do we generate? How many sales? That's the, the cost per sale for say, for example, for Google. Um, and so, do you yeah. weigh the contributing channels at all? Or is it just first channel that like you guys look we, at? We just go first channel. Um, and the reason being, I mean, obviously, this is a very, very broad kind of field and, and everyone's kind of got different ways for us in our circumstance as a challenger brand, you know, so we were coming from a position where um, when we started, we were basically unheard of in the market. So for us, our biggest kind of challenge was how do we actually get our name out there and get ourselves, you know, get our brand out there to people who've never heard about Aussie broadband before. So once they had heard about us, you know, that was actually, less important the kind of specific sequence whereas you know if we were telstra everybody knows telstra and therefore it's really important to them what was that last thing that generated that action to sign up with telstra given that everybody knows about telstra but given that nobody knew about aussie broadband when we started we we always went right well what was what what, what can we determine was the very first thing that that, that person interacted with um or, or saw about us or heard about us but obviously you know that's starting to change over time. And it's something that we're constantly, you know, looking at and, and reevaluating. Um, is that the most efficient way of, of, um, of optimizing our spend, I suppose. And I guess like, if we look at the above the line, if you're doing above the line and at the same time that like you're doing the yeah, direct mail, so, uh, what do you do yeah, with that? <laughs> above the line, uh, this is the thing above the line is where things started to really kind of, um, become really challenging to measure this attribution. And, and, um, and it's something that I've, you know, myself and the team have really struggled with. Um, so what we've looked at for above the line and um, it's, it's particularly the first kind of real above the line stuff that we did was, was broadcast TVC ads. 
Um, now, the kind of saving grace, I suppose, and we've got a partner that we work with in this, in this space and who's, their kind of advice was a five-minute attribution window um, is generally what you would consider to have come from, from TVC. Um, so that's kind of what we built into our model to say, right, if they, if they were in an area where, say, for example, um, Vic Metro is, a, is an area or, or Vic Regional is another area. Mm -hmm. So if, in, if they were in an area and they created a lead within five minutes of seeing a TV ad in that area, then we would attribute, um, we would attribute that lead to TVC. Now, it, it's, a, it's a flawed methodology right from the start, you know what I mean? Because just because a TV ad played in an area doesn't necessarily mean that um, the, the, the person necessarily was watching that or necessarily meant that they did anything. Um, and because it's a TV ad has played, obviously that increases awareness. And that means somebody, you know, not necessarily within five minutes, but in the next day or the next week or the next month, they may sign up from that TV ad, even though they haven't necessarily just seen it. It's when they think to buy it. So, so where you've got the broadcast things, that kind of, you know, direct attribution does really start to break down. But what we start to do is we use it as a point of reference amongst other pieces of data. So one of the things that we did for TVC, um, yeah, for TV advertising was we said, okay, right, well, this is how we're attributing it using that five minute attribution window. This is kind of the relative performance that it indicates. Let's look at it another way. And um, in the case of TVC, we actually took a baseline of pre-TVC. We said, right, what's the four weeks pre-TVC? What were the, the number of leads, the number of sales, and even just even website hits? Yeah. Um, and so we actually looked at that as a baseline and said, right, now that we've started to introduce TVC, what are the, the website hits? What are the leads? What are the sales? And so we could also see a lift there that we could kind of go back and go, right, well, um, what's the, the difference, the uplift, I guess, as a result of TVC and given our spend, what we calculate as the uplift, that gives a separate indication of the effectiveness of TVC. We're com you're not comparing apples and oranges, I suppose, with the direct attribution method versus the uplift kind of method, but they're just multiple data points in the arsenal to say if one's pointing, you know, it's good and the other one's pointing good, then chances are it's working, continue investing. You know, if one's going one way and the other metric is kind of going the other way, then we've got to go, hold on, stop. We've got to kind of do some more data. And if we've got both metrics are pointing that, hey, look, this isn't performing as well as our other channels, yeah. then we know, hey, pull that back. And that's kind of the approach we've taken with a lot of our, our broadcast advertising as we've moved into TVC, radio, um, out of home, those kind of things. We've been using a kind of a combination of an attribution, but also kind of an uplift as best as we can determine, either from, from you know, market share or from, from leads or sales above a baseline to determine an uplift. And um, that's another kind of just metric that we use in conjunction with our other stuff to try and determine successfulness. Yeah, right. Um, and it's an imperfect... Um, approach 100%. I, think that, it's it. yeah, I think you know so many organizations have been trying to figure out this attribution yeah, part of when, the marketing I, strategy I, so it's so hard exactly when i first started i was like surely somebody has solved this but you know there's there's smarter people than me that have been working <laughs> on this problem for so long but um you know certainly over the over the last kind of four years it's very much been a okay no no this is this is, it's just an imperfect science and and that's, I guess the key is you've got to do the best that you can. Neither, you know, there's no single methodology which is perfect, um, but using kind of a combination of them, you can get an indication of what's working and what's not. And I think you've always got to try because something that is imperfect is still going to be far better than something, than nothing at all. And I guess that's the biggest thing is, is if you rely on, um, gut feel and gut feel alone, I guess, that's only going to ever take you so far. You've yeah. really got to be able to go and, and pull together some data in order to be able to provide some kind of indication. When, and if that's not perfect all the time, absolutely. But it helps us give some ways, some feedback on, on the performance of the marketing. Otherwise, we're wandering blind. Yeah, sure, sure. No, no, it's, um, it's such a challenge. I think it's going to become an even harder challenge for you now because as you become that larger and larger company and like that household name and I'm sure that like that um 
the word of mouth is increasing significantly, the brand's increasing significantly. Like, are you going to go to like that Telstra example of kind of the last click attribution? Like, is that <laughs> what's going to be next? I mean, like, how are you thinking about what's going to happen next? Because it's not oh, as simple oh, as first click anymore, right? No, absolutely. Um, I think it'll be a, a long way. You know, Telstra's market shares around the fifty percent mark, and ours is around three. So we've got we've got a long <laughs> we've got way a bit yeah, of growth before. Right. Yeah, before before we're going to be in that kind of um, that kind of scenario. It is something that that we've been looking at, and I guess um, we we've been kind of keeping an eye on on our on our prompted brand awareness, but also our unprompted brand awareness. Um, and that's been a kind of an interesting piece for us to start tracking and going, right, well, our, our prompted brand awareness has actually grown really significantly, um, but unprompted is still quite low. So unprompted is still around effectively equivalent to what our market share is, which is, um, you know, not surprising, obviously, considering how long that Telstra's um, been in the market. When, you, when you're building a brand, you can't, you know, in a lot of cases, build a brand overnight, you know, and there's obviously yeah. certain success stories that everyone's aware of um, yeah. where they just go, you know, no one heard of Uber five years ago and now they're, yeah. they're huge. But for, for, for most people, for most, most marketers, I, I suppose, out there in the field, if you're not, you know, those, those celebrities, I guess, of the advertising world, um, marketing is a, is a long-term and it's a hard process to build a brand and to, um, you know, to, to kind of really get it in the mind of consumers. And so I think I view it very much as a long game. I don't think there'll get, there'll be a point necessarily in the, in, in the, the near future anyway, that will be, will be well known as a, as a household name kind of thing. Sure. Sure. Well, just on that point then, you know, so um, what are some of um, the biggest marketing lessons that you've learned along the way? I'm sure there's been plenty. Um, yes, there, there has been. <laughs> it's been very interesting. And I think that um, part of the lessons that we've had as Aussie Broadband, marketing, um, you know, you can say that like marketing makes or breaks an organization. I don't really believe that that's, that's true. The biggest lesson for me um, operating in, in this business has been actually that it's, it's, you are made or, or broken, I suppose, as a business by the quality of your product. You know, um, it's kind of this whole, this whole adage of, you know, you can polish a turd, I suppose. <laughs> um, but honestly, and that's what it comes back to. And so we've been, I think, um, uh, far more successful um, at, at, at growing our business um, can, compared to, say, for example, some other providers in, in, the, in the telco industry. Um, and it's certainly not because, you know, um, as much as we'd like to think that we're the best marketers and things like that, but that's absolutely not the case. It's on the, the strength of our product. We, we have a, such a hardworking team of network engineers um, and, and, and technology guys that are focused on the very, very best networking, the best systems um, to provide, you know, the best MBN experience possible. And we've got incredible um, groups of customer service consultants that are, that are focused on providing the very, very best customer service experience. And so from a marketing perspective, when you've got, you know, an entire organization that's, that's absolutely dedicated to delivering a high quality product, the marketing becomes easy and it, and it, and it you know, to a large degree markets itself. And um, that's one of the biggest things that we've actually used in our campaigns. We've got a campaign that we've been running now um, for the last few years called the Can't Beat Feedback campaign. And it literally is using feedback from our customers, real examples of things that they've either sent to us or posted on social media or things like that, um, that we've now used in our marketing campaign. And that's, that's because of the strength of the product. That's really something that's, that's what's driven the growth of the, the business. It hasn't necessarily been marketing as much as every marketer would like to think that, you know, that <laughs> <laughs> they're single-handedly responsible for, for the fortunes of their company. Um, really product absolutely makes or breaks a business. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And on that path, on that point there, um, where are we now? It's like the third of July. We've, we're still in the. It seems like in the middle of a pandemic still. You know, this whole thing started, and I think Aussie Broadband would have been just one of the companies where everyone was like, "We need faster internet, and we need it now, right?" And so you would have received the benefit from that. But it's not as simple as everyone on the outside would think. It's like, oh. 
You know, it's like, you know, oh. say for example, like Zoom. Oh yeah, they must be so happy. It's so easy. Like, it's not that easy, is it? How did you no. kind of adapt to that increase like in the demand for people actually just wanting a better internet service? Because I'm sure that would have been a huge challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's no business, I think, at all that obviously hasn't been affected by the COVID pandemic in some way, shape or form. Um, certainly some businesses have, have, have grown as a result. And, and I guess we've been in, we've been lucky to be in an industry that, that, you know, has kind of found, you know, people that needed internet all throughout the pandemic and it's been more important. Um, but you're absolutely right. That hasn't come without its challenges. We were in a position um, and I suppose we were quite lucky, I guess, because a lot of telcos, um, particularly larger telco providers, actually operated overseas call centers that were completely taken offline. Um, we were very lucky because we run an onshore call center operation that we were able to continue running. Australia wasn't affected nearly as badly as other countries. But what we did find is that, you know, you're, you're in a situation where people need their internet more than ever, but we also had to, and, and, and they expect, you know, they expect their internet to, to work and to, they, they want to be able to call in and all that kind of stuff. Um, but obviously, first and foremost, we've got to be thinking about this, the, 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 the well-being, I suppose, and the, the health and safety of our staff. So we were in the process of um, shifting our call centre and, and a call centre is, you know, not like a standard operation where you've got a, a bunch of individuals. You go, cool, you guys work from home, that kind of thing. A call centre is a very kind of different environment. But we were, we were trying to shift our call centre operations to a work from home environment, which was, you know, completely... Um, new to a lot of the, our staff that we had in there and, and um, you know, yeah, operating in a work from home scenario, trying to, but also simultaneously trying to keep our offices open so we could continue to train new staff and bring new staff on board very, very rapidly to meet that influx of, of demand. And so, yeah, we kind of, we actually um, recruited, uh, it would, it would have been, over a hundred staff um, in wow. probably a six week period um, just to help us to deal with the, the, the call volumes and, and um, you know, kind of the inundation that came as a result from everybody needing to, to in a very short period of time, have really, really good internet. So, so was the biggest challenge just being able to handle the phone calls? Um, like was the internet part kind of, sorted and it was more just like how do you kind of handle support and sales and follow-up and yeah like, 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 pretty like much. A, yeah is that what it was yeah exactly um we found we we find that there's a lot of um certainly when you know when customers are up and running um generally you know if their internet's stable there's no problem then great happy days and and um uh, you know, a lot of customers they they don't once they once they buy their provider they, they they choose their internet and choose their provider. Most of the times it's smooth sailing, but it is um, you know when they need to sign up, I guess, and, and potentially they need to change providers and they need new routers and new hardware and they need to be guided through the process. And so um, people need that extra support. You know, internet's not necessarily as simple just plug it in and, and away it goes in a lot of cases. And so yeah, that was where we found that a lot of people it was that it was the customer service side of things where people calling and absolutely, you know, we, you know, really pride ourselves on being able to, to, to provide that, you know, the best in class kind of customer experience. Um, it was just trying to get enough staff literally on the phones to deal with the, the influx of the calls that were coming in. And we actually had calls from customers and other providers saying, cause they couldn't like, you know, um, uh, other providers, the bigger, bigger companies, they completely shut their call centers. So, no one could get through to a single person. Um, and so we had other people, customers of other telcos ringing us to say, hey, can you help me with my order? Can you help me with my internet? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm with another larger company, um, but I can't get through their support at theirs. And we were like, look, sorry, we'd, we'd love to help you. You know, we, we really can't. Um, so it was a really difficult time, I think, obviously for everybody, but just for us to be able to get enough trying to transition our staff to work from home thing. But keep our offices open, keep on bringing on new staff to deal with that core volume. Um, but, you know, we've, we've got some, in, we're lucky enough to have some incredible people, I suppose, in the organisation. And so, 
you know, it was, there were definitely some time and, and there were points in time when the marketing team, even me, I was actually on the phones answering calls from customers just to be able to try and get through the backlog because it was pretty much a everyone stop everything. We need to focus on, on, on again, on what's important is the product and the customer service. And yeah, we had marketing taking, taking calls, service delivery calls and, and myself taking service delivery calls to deal with it. But sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do um, and, and, uh, and yeah, that we've kind of found that, yeah, we have able to bring a lot of staff on board and, and that really helped us kind of, um, yeah, ride that wave, I guess. And, and now things yeah. are, are far more uh, back to normal, I guess. And I can see, um, how it's like one of those moments, right? It's like, mm. it's never going to happen again like that. And overnight you've gone from, you know, and this is just like, like a sample guess, right? You know, from 500 mm. calls per hour to 5,000 calls per hour or something like that, right? Like it just, <laughs> like just basically increases like at a factor of 10, like immediately, right? And then you're like, yeah. well, that that is there now. That demand is there now. So either we can step up and we can fill it or we can kind of hide back and, and just be kind of status quo. But how many hours a day were you working at that time? Because obviously that would have been uh, like off the book, you know, like I can't even imagine. Yeah. There was, there was, uh, look, a, a, a lot of people and, and it's, it's many hands make light work as, as with, yeah. with any kind of, whether it's a business or it's a, it's a, it's a community project or not for profit yeah. with anything, you know, it, it was a case of many hands make light work. We were running a lot of overtime. And as I said, we were, um, I had, I had guys in marketing that were, were staying back and running overtime to answer phone calls and all things like that. Um, so, but it was very much just a team effort. And I think that's yeah. one of the, the beauties, I guess. And, and um, when you've got a really strong culture in there, it wasn't, you know, nobody thought twice about staying back to, to, to help out on cues or, or, or that kind of thing. You know, it was very much a, this is the challenge. We've got to get this done. And ultimately we're committed to the best customer service. And so, you know, sometimes you need to go above and beyond in order to make that happen. And, and yeah, um, everyone pulled together through a really difficult time. And uh, yeah, no, it was it was really awesome to see. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I mean, I think I had wanted to transition to Aussie broadband, and I just hadn't had like the reason because I was basically with like the bigger provider before, and then contacted Telstra about you know something and they cancelled my internet by accident like I was just trying to get something updated like to move to NBN and just cancelled it so I just and I tried to call them and I couldn't call them so then I basically um I called Aussie Broadband I was up and running in like six hours because it was the same modem it was the same thing they just connected it you know Mm -hmm. um and so that would have like that process seemed so easy for me but I'm sure that would have been pretty challenging at that end between the tech and the support and the follow-up. I think that they followed me up like three times or something, just, you know, just, uh, just for support. Um, but it was really quick. Right. And I think that was um, a big reason for your success in that um, yeah, period. For it was sure. like, I got like, I was like my, my internet, you cut my internet. I'm like, like I run an yeah. internet company, you know, like you can't cut my internet. Like it, it, I, it, absolutely. It, uh, it hurt yeah. and I'm pretty technical and, and I couldn't sort it out either, you know? And that's the, that's the reality is, is, um, you know, yeah, people will probably, you know, they, they'd, they'd rather go without a good deal of other things than, um, than go without internet. And that's yeah. kind of, you know, as it, as it shows, it's so important in, in keeping us connected, keeping us together. People are, are, are working from home. They're studying from home, you know, kids learning from home. So, you know, internet is critical and, and when you need it to work. And as, as you said, um, there's nothing more frustrating than not being able to get through when you've got it, when you've got some kind of I mean, problem. And so that's, exactly. that is one of the things that we, we've, we've found and we get quite a lot of feedback on, on the difference between, um, yeah, other competitors and us is, is again, it just comes down to that product. And if you've got that, that product, the marketing becomes very easy. Makes as it a result. way easier. Let's yeah. talk quickly about the team because I just heard you mention that just a second ago, right? Um, four, four or five years ago, um, um, it was a smaller kind of in-house team. Team of one. Yep. It was just team me. of one. Oh, so there was just you, was it? With 100,000 yeah, or whatever and some of the founders when, or whatever, right? The founder or whatever. Yeah, when I started, oh, well, I suppose, yeah, the, the, the company started, um, 
uh, we've been going for probably 20 years ago and it, and it literally started in, in the lounge room um, with, with Phil Britt, our managing director and John Reisinger, our CTO. Um, and, you know, so we've, we've grown from there, but yeah, certainly when I started in terms of marketing um, and that was kind of nearly four years ago now, there was probably 65 people in the company in total. And, um, and, you know, the marketing team was just one, which was just me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we've grown, yeah, over the last kind of, you know, three and a half, four years um, from that 65 to now we've got, you know, over 450 staff members. So. Um, and in terms of the marketing team, because I know that's expanded over the time as well. How big is the marketing team and kind of, could you talk through quickly the first hires, second hires and so on kind of like how you built the team because I know there's a lot of, of companies out there that have agencies or not and everyone knows actually having a full in-house team is probably going to be the best thing because they're all focused on you but you don't just mm. go and hire 20 people <laughs> straight yeah, away. No, no, so how did absolutely. you approach that, yeah, that process? Yeah, so um, when, we, when we started and I guess... Um, you know, we kind of, when, when I was brought in, I was kind of, um, the remit was to, to, to become a national provider, to develop a national strategy. Um, and that was something that, you know, as I was saying, it, we were just focused on regional Victoria, a little bit of South Australia. So um, there was some really kind of lofty goals, but you've always got to start small and, and work your way up. You know, you can't go out there, particularly for a small business and straight away go, cool, um, I need all these people. So, um, very, it was just started with me very quickly. I said, Oh, actually, hang on a second, guys. I think I need you know, a couple of extra people. And so the team um, grew uh, within the kind of the first three or four months, we grew to four. And that was like, at the time, like, wow, four people dedicated to marketing. <laughs> this is going to be, this is outrageous. This is crazy. Um, <laughs> um, but it was, it was actually, I think, the start of, you know, you've got to build a really strong foundation. And um, the real benefit of having, you know, we, we were a very small team, but we worked really, really closely together. And when you've got a, a, a particularly, you know, something, I'm going to call it a small business again. Um, it, it was quite small and it was quite dynamic. We were kind of changing things quite rapidly. And there was a point in time we had, um, uh, you know, an agreement with another telco to actually sell services um, in, in the areas that we weren't directly connected to. So we had our direct network in, in kind of 12 of 121, what they call poise around Australia. Um, but we actually needed another provider to service the remaining kind of, you know, 111 poise or 110 yeah. poise because we were, um, we weren't necessarily connected everywhere. And then pretty much, uh, one, it was actually kind of about, about 12 o'clock one day, um, the boss, Phil Britt, came down to, to our end of the building and said, that's it, we're not selling any more Optus services. Um, that's it, stop selling them all. And we were like, oh my God, we've just sent 100,000 flyers to, <laughs> you know, 100,000 flyers a week going out to all of these areas that were meant to be on, you know, effectively using that other provider and like straight away, you know, and it's marketer's worst nightmare because we've just invested in in the beginnings of this mail out and overnight it's just gone, boom, no, we're not selling any more of those services. Um, so when you're faced with kind of positions like that and, and, and kind of crises, I guess, you know, because it was like an, oh my God, how the hell are we going to, we're going to fix this now? We spent all this money and we've invested all this and now we can't effectively sell any of these services. Um, it really helps to have a really tight knit team that you can rely on. You've got to be able to rely on the people sitting next to you. And, and um, you know, I was very, very lucky to have um, awesome, um, th those couple first hires and, and James Sampson in my team and Arts Kovacs, um, you know, we were, we kind of, you know, live together, breathe together, um, working kind of side by side. And, and um, you know, as soon as something like that happened, right, guys, what are we going to do? How are we going to change things straight away? Um, and just, yeah, having those, the right people around you um, is just so, so critical. And I was super lucky in those early days and they weren't, you know, I guess some people are like, oh, you've got to kind of, you know, you, you've got to look for people for experience. You know, you've got to get people in there that know what they're doing. So straight away they can get, off the ground and running. Um, our experience hasn't really been like that. Our, our, and our whole philosophy at Aussie Broadband has been higher for attitude, higher for, you know, um, 
intelligence and skill we we can teach the the you know the, the experience the things you need to know um and that was kind of the thing you know no one um no one really came into the team having been a telco marketer having you know had all this experience blah 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 um, and I think that's one of the things that really kind of actually helped us because although it was a lot harder for us, we didn't have any preconceived ideas around what worked, what didn't work, you know, and so that meant that we had to test everything, you know, we had no other option. So mm -hmm. everything had to get tested, everything had to get optimized. And that kind of whole process grew from having a team that, you know, yeah, they had, they had the, the, the kind of the passion um, and the skill set, but not necessarily the experience. And, 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 and sometimes that actually, you know, in our case, actually really helped us in those early days. And so you hired for the more, I guess, um, like general role. Is that right? Like, like it was more yeah, pretty much. like marketing yep. specialist. Like, like it, it didn't was, say what was, kind of marketing it's going to do. That's like you're no. in marketing is your specialty. Done. And that's, uh, that's well, right. Yeah. And in those, those early days, because, you know, you're running a small team, everyone's doing everything. And there were, you know, we do, we'd, we'd go, right, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you know, we were all really close together. And so, you know, communication wasn't a problem. Certainly, yeah. as we started to grow and expand, um, you know, people started to develop into more kind of specialists, you know, residential and focusing on residential customers and business and business customers and those kind of things. Um, so that kind of came over time. Um, and certainly now we've got a team of, I think, um, yeah, in total, the marketing team, I think is about 16 people or so. And so now we've kind of got more specialist roles, but certainly in those early days, um, everyone did everything and, and still, you know, it's, it's not, you know, kind of, um, it's not unknown for us to kind of go, okay, Hey, look, this isn't working. So let's actually change this. You know, you used to be doing this. Well, now let's do this and let's treat this this way. Um, and being flexible and to continually, adapt and change as the circumstances require and and you know in in 12 months time we'll we might have a different team structure again who knows um yeah and have you got um like 10 more minutes because i got a couple more questions or like is it a hard stop at 11. is it a hard stop i got a hard, I got a hard stop at 11 so you'll have to <laughs> oh, oh, oh wow um um when do you choose to hire somebody else, you know, for the in-house team, you know, like at what point, like does it go from 16 to 17 or from 12 to 13? Uh, that's a really, that's a really tough question. It's not for us. It's very much around the, the, the targets and where we need to be. So I guess probably a, a more typical approach is, you know, you wait till the workload and whatever else like that. And then you go, right, we've got to add someone. Um, if you do that though, you, I tend to find that you probably will miss opportunities that otherwise you would have been able to take an advantage of if you have capacity. Now you obviously don't want to have people that are sitting there doing nothing. You know what I mean? There's, there's got to be, you know, at the end of the day, I've got a budget. I've still got to work towards as, as, a, as right. does everyone who's hiring staff. Um, but certainly, you know, when I kind of initially, you know, started and did that first hire, I kind of wanted to hire one and then I ended up, I ended up with three. I went, right, well, I need one right now, but where the business is going and our kind of goals, what we need to get to, um, one is going to be enough for the growth that we have now, but it's not going to achieve that kind of step change in the marketing that we needed to achieve at the time um, yeah. in order to hit the goals of the organization. And so that's actually when we went, well, um, I hired two and kind of reappropriated one from another area that kind of made the three up. Um, I guess. And, and yeah, and that was kind of the thing. And so as we've kind of grown, it's been, well, you know, yeah, we need somebody to possibly do this um, and it would be good to have it in house, but it's, it's more with an eye on the future and Hey, look, you know, in order to get to that breakthrough goal, what are the things that we need to start doing now? Cause if you, if you wait till, till that point that justifies having a full time person, say for example, take a role like the website, right. You know, and, and in our case, um, our website is the overwhelming majority of our lead generation um, and, and, uh, and, major and probably, well, about 50, 50% of our sales run through online. Mm. And when you're smaller, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we can't have somebody that's dedicated full-time to the website. But when you look at actually how important is the website to our overall operations and how important is it going to be? Because 
if people can can sign up online it's a real easy experience good for the customer obviously they can connect really easily but also good yeah. for the business um, and so you go right well if in six months time we need you know a full powered website and that website's going to be you know pushing through 5,000 sales on its own and, and, and responsible for probably the generation of 20,000 leads. Well, invest in a website person now because now. that's what's going to allow that growth to occur for that point that you need to be in, in you know, six months or 12 months time or whatever, whatever that is. Got it. Got it. Um, one final question. What's next for Aussie mm. Broadband? What's next? Like you've come so what's far. Next? You've gone from 25 to 50 to 100 to 190 million. What's next? Uh, so we're, we're, we're looking to continue our, our, our growth, I suppose. One of the things is that, you know, we're at, we're out to change the game, I guess. And, and what we've seen so far in telco is people are, are so used to probably, um, they're used to waiting on hold. They're used to a shitty experience. Everyone hates having to call their telco and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, where we're at and we go, we go, the industry shouldn't be like that. People shouldn't have to put up with that kind of experience. And so we're really out there to change the game. We think that, um, you know, there's a real market for what we kind of offer. Um, and we're, we're looking to continue growing um, and, and hopefully having a lot more, a lot more customers that are, are happy with their ambient experience and happy with their telco. And yeah, we're looking at basically um, listing later on in the year, listing on the stock exchange. That'll help us to, to continue to grow, invest in our people, invest in our systems and our products and things like that. And, um, you know, Hopefully, yeah, we, we will be a, a much bigger company in the next couple of years. And obviously, like your role um, has continually changed from all that time four years ago to what it's going to be when it's a public listed company. So um, um, that was a question that I was going to ask, but, but let's leave it there for today. Um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast um, today and sharing the story of Aussie Broadband. Um, it's been a fun chat. Thanks, Kuzi. No worries. Thanks, Alex. It's been, um, yeah, been, been, great to, been great to chat with you. Thanks for listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. For more episodes, please visit growthmanifesto.com forward slash podcast.